This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 470. You know, a lot of times our social anxiety, our performance anxiety brings up past shames that we don't even think about anymore from our childhood, from our youth, from that time in middle school when no one would sit with us or we said something really stupid. This stuff runs really deep. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illnesses in the world. But in our workplaces, anxiety has been a hidden problem. They're in plain sight, but ignored. That is until now. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. If you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. We chat each week with another successful and inspiring author and dig into his or her latest book and their unique insights on a number of different topics like leadership, professional development, productivity, career, business, and more. Today, we're being joined by author Maura Ahrens Mealy. She's written a book called The Anxious Achiever. Turn your biggest fears into your leadership superpower. I'll be asking Maura to share about how you can use your anxiety to your advantage, why she believes you can still inspire and motivate others even when you're feeling anxious, ways as a leader you can open the door to more discussion about this topic, and much, much more. If you're looking for a place to hang out where other people take personal and professional development as seriously as you do, I'd like to recommend you join the Read to Lead community online at jeffbrown.me. There you can get access to exclusive content, weekly business book summaries in categories like leadership, mindset, habits, productivity, and more, curated resources like articles, interviews, apps, videos, and community forum access. That's access to 350 plus other people, again, who take these things as seriously as you do. If that sounds like a crowd you'd like to hang out with, we'd love to have you. It's free to join. JeffBrown.me is the place to go. One more time, that's JeffBrown.me. Maura Ahrens Mealy is the host of The Anxious Achiever, a top 10 management podcast that helps people rethink the relationship between their mental health and their leadership. She also founded Women Online and The Mission List. In 2018, she released a book called Hiding in the Bathroom, How to Get Out There When You'd Rather Stay Home. And her brand new book is called The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Well, Maura, uh, I'm excited to have you on the show today. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this. So, so thank you, first of all, for being here and taking the time. That's great. Thank you. Can't wait. And I thought a great way to start this conversation would be for you to talk about your experience with anxiety and, and other related disorders that you've had to battle and how particularly your, your early life experiences kind of shaped your your professional development, your personal development. Oh, yeah. I uh, first got diagnosed with clinical anxiety when I was 19. Mm. Uh, also got diagnosed with depression at the same time. And what they used to call cyclothymia, which they now call bipolar two. So it's sort of a lesser kind of bipolar. You still cycle between depression and mania, but your mania is not full blown. It's called hypomania. Mm. And, um, you know, so my mental health has really been part of the story of my entire adult life. I always was conscious of it, had to manage it. At the same time, I was always the kid who got the gold star. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if, if, if you or your listeners can relate, um, but I also was conditioned to 
achieve and to never stop, mm. to never take a pause and think or be grateful or tell myself I had done enough. It was just always what's next. And of course, when you're anxious and you're conditioned to achieve, it becomes a cycle because anxiety becomes like your oxygen. It keeps you going and it keeps that drive going, but it comes at a cost to your mental health, to your joy, to your relationships. And that was me. Mm. And, and I really did cycle between periods that I, that I actually now recognize as hypomanic. And when I was in my twenties, I would move to a new country. Mm. I, I would start a new job. I mean, I was both extremely motivated, manic, and also just looking for help. Maybe if I moved to a new country, I wouldn't feel so depressed. Wow. Right. And so that was really the story of my young life. And it wasn't till I was in my early 30s that I changed my career in a way that way better suited my mental health. And that is really when my interest in all this stuff exploded. Mm. I was 29, actually. I'll remember it clearly. I applied, <laughs> I applied to social work school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the good news there is, you know, for most of us, we can you know think through that process and consciously make decisions that aid us in this regard. But it, it's not like something we truly are ever going to conquer, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people like, "If you only took this herb, your anxiety would go away." And <laughs> at this point, I'm 46 years old. I've been to God knows how many therapists. I've tried. Lord knows how many medications. I have come to accept it and actually love this piece of who I am as tender and raw as it is. And I and I just want to tell people out there if they're suffering, get help. It's treatable. It's it's manageable. And it doesn't have to be something that you vanquish or cure. Mm. Related to what you were just saying a moment ago, you say in the book that you're Anxiety has has ruined a lot of days for you, but but at the same time, you also credit it for for much of your success. Can you expound on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, part of it just comes back to being that kid chasing the gold star. You know, it it is a huge factor in honestly how I operate. Mm. You know, and um, sometimes at this point, I can tell it to shut up. It's not you're, <laughs> go away. You're not helping me. And sometimes I'm like, let's go. You know, right now, honestly, with a book coming out, I'm extremely anxious because there's a lot at stake, but I'm also really invested and I can use that anxiety mm. um, because it, it makes me work harder. It makes me hyper focused. It makes me actually ironically willing to take risks mm. um, because it is pushing that growth edge. Now, there have also been times when I have been, you know, checking into the ER because I'm having a panic attack. I'm mm. unable to leave my bed because of anxiety. So I never want to sugarcoat it. But what I'm saying is, if this is who you are, it's who you are. You know, as I read your book, I think back to a couple of instances in my life that are relatively recent. We're talking like uh, eight and nine and a half years ago. Mm. It was after uh, I started this podcast, not long after I started the podcast, the first time I got hit with what I would label uh, as a panic attack. I'm not sure what else to call it because it's certainly not, like nothing I'd ever felt before. Mm. But in that situation and one other situation uh, were examples of when I found myself in places on stages, quote unquote, I didn't feel I deserved to be on. Mm. And there, were, there was no 
warning leading up to the moment, but literally, you know, the, the proverbial cameras and lights turn on and microphones, et cetera. And I get asked the first question and I freeze. And I mean, mm-hmm. to the point that I'm trying to speak and no words will come out of my mouth. And I literally have to excuse myself. I have to like stop, turn things off, like stand up, like, uh, you know, stretch, like ask myself, what in the world is going on? What is happening to me? Yep. And, and all that to say, now it hasn't happened since. Again, the last one was about eight years ago, just twice, about a year and a half apart. It's just something that in the back of my mind, I kind of worry if and when that will happen again and what the situation will be. Can I plan for it? Can I, can I anticipate it in some way? I don't know if you have anything to, to offer in that regard, but uh, would just be curious. I, I do, but I want to ask you first. I mean, as you look back, can you can you think about what might have triggered that that panic anxiety? Yeah, and it's something that I want to ask you about anyway. And and I think in both cases, it was uh, in, in a couple of words, imposter syndrome. Mm. I, you know, I mentioned being on stages that I feel like felt I didn't deserve to be on. The first one was the first ever time where I where the tables were turned, and I felt like I was the person being the expert and being interviewed. Where the previous 30 years, I was the person doing the interviewing. <laughs> and suddenly it, it was me in that chair. And that was a role I'd never been in before and, and just didn't anticipate the, 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 the panic that I would experience in that moment. And then a year and a half later, very similar situation, an interview, but a topic about which I felt I had a lot still to learn, but was being mm. viewed by some as being an expert in, but I really didn't feel like I had anything to offer that tens of millions of people didn't already know. <laughs> so, and plus the person interviewing me was someone who was far away an expert in that field and someone who I looked up to. Mm. And here he was interviewing me about this topic. And I thought, I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. This is an accident. Somebody made a mistake. You know, all those things. All the things. Yeah. But what's interesting in both of those situations is that you really cared. You were invested. Mm. You know, sometimes I heard a psychologist say this, I'll never forget. Anxiety shows you care, you know, Mm. and you wanted to do well. You were, again, you were breaking through new ground. Mm. That is scary. It brings up so much. It, you know, a lot of times our social anxiety, our performance anxiety brings up past shames that we we don't even think about anymore from our childhood, from our youth, from that time in middle school when no one would sit with us or we said something really stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, this stuff, this stuff runs really deep. I, I I tell the story in my book. I had a panic attack when I did a reading for my first book at my local public library where oh, wow. I live. And um and I've been on lots of big stages. I'm a ham. I like being on stage, but there was <laughs> something about the fact that these were people in my community who had taken time out on a Monday night to come see me. I felt like I could never meet their expectations. Mm. And I I froze so badly. Someone in the audience said, "We have to call 911." Wow. They were they were ready to call 911 and I luckily this was not my first rodeo. I said, "I'm I'm sorry. I'm having a panic attack. We have to stop." It was humiliating. Mm. So 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 why am I telling you this scary story? Because, <laughs> because the truth is is we're all human and we can survive mm. and we can learn. We can build resilience. I'm not recommending anyone have a panic attack. <laughs> but that was my anxiety really trying to tell me something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wasn't listening. And so it really, it had to shut down my body to get me to listen. 
I know one of the things, one of the goals with regard to your podcast of the same name, The Anxious Achiever, which I started listening to this weekend. I'm like, where's this podcast been all my life? <laughs> in fact, it was just it was fantastic, the episode that I listened to. And, and I'm now a subscriber. So I, I just really, really well done. And how do I get LinkedIn to present my podcast is what I want to know. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll talk offline. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best memories I have post uh, those those panic attacks for me was talking about them on this show uh, in, mm. in a solo episode. And that episode from several years ago probably is to this date the most responded to oh my God. episode I've ever done. And I mentioned that because I know your podcast is about getting leaders on to talk about these things, some of whom just don't want to talk about the things. Well, I got to go listen to that. Yeah. I mean, most people don't want to talk about this. It makes us very uncomfortable and we don't like to be uncomfortable. And so our brains try to protect us. When we <laughs> when we start feeling uncomfortable and uncertain, our threat appraisal system starts firing. And what do we do? We don't want to feel this way. So we might avoid. We mm-hmm. might go have a Snickers bar. We mm-hmm. might answer a million emails and work really late. Like We act out anxiety because we don't want to sit and feel the uncomfortable feeling of, I was on stage and I had a panic attack and that felt like I was literally dying. Why? Mm. Of course, we don't want to feel that way, but we have to, we have to do that work. And where this ties into leadership for me is twofold. One, how can we talk about leadership if we don't talk about one of the things that's most fundamental to our existence, Mm. which is our mental health? which is the stories that we bring to work, which is our self-image, which is our insecurity, which is our anxiety. How can we lead if we don't look at that? And also because this stuff shows up in such toxic ways in every workplace. We bring anxiety to work. Work makes us more anxious. And so what do we do? We control, we micromanage, we're gatekeepers. (laughs) We yell at people, we mansplain. I've been there. <laughs> right? We do all the, all the things. And so we have to look at this stuff, even though it's really uncomfortable. Mm. And, and, and the good news is, and would love to get your thoughts on this, you, you can still inspire and motivate other people, even when you're feeling anxious, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent, because you're two things. I mean, when you're in the moment and you're anxious, I want to acknowledge it's hard. You're in your head. You may be so flooded with emotions. You actually can't cognate. Your your thoughts aren't working. Mm. So you need to learn techniques. And we talk about this in the book. And I recommend, I recommend therapy for everyone. You need to learn how to manage that in the moment. But when you learn how to manage that anxiety, you are self-aware, which is the number one leadership quality people want. Mm. You're empathetic, you're compassionate, and you're able to bring people together and communicate and look ahead in such a new way, right? I mean, resiliency is born and that's really, really important. Contrast that with just acting out by micromanaging everyone. Something I've been, for lack of a better word, guilty of over the years is sort of equating uh, fear and anxiety as the same thing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Now, they're, they're certainly cousins, but but it's important to understand the nuances between the two. How, how would you distinguish between fear and anxiety? Um, the way I distinguish it is fear is a real external threat, right? Fear is when the car cuts in front of you on the highway and you slam on the brakes or you get really, really terrible news. Anxiety 
is a similar physiological response, but it may not be based on anything at all. <laughs> it's it's an anticipatory emotion of something bad that really may not be based on an external threat. Let's get practical here uh, for just a second. Maybe some specific steps of of getting to a place where we can view anxiety in, in a new way as something neither good nor bad, but begin to actually use it as an advantage for us. Yeah. Anxiety is a fundamental human emotion, right? It's very, very old. <laughs> <laughs> it exists to help us learn patterns that keep us alive. And it's neither good nor bad. It It, it is. And so when we can take some of the judgment away from it, we can try to ask it, what are you trying to tell me, right? Why am I compelled to micromanage right now? Is it this presentation coming up? Is it this deadline? Is it that I'm really scared about the financial news out there and I feel very, very insecure and this is bringing up a lot of stuff for me? So part of it is that we get rightly so, we get so fearful about even feeling anxiety. Any of us who have been through it think, oh my gosh, I don't want to feel that way again. But that just compounds the problem. And so the first step is noticing, right? Every therapist will tell you this. The first step is noticing, why am I anxious? What does anxiety feel like in my body? And then to start pulling back the layers and thinking about, and in a work context, sometimes this is really nuts and bolts. Why did that email make me so anxious? Why did my stomach flip? We've all had that experience. You see someone's name pop up in your inbox and all of a sudden you are just instantly anxious. Why? And then the most important part, how do I react? Because we may never be able to control the fact that I see Jeff Brown in my inbox and it makes me anxious, although that would never happen. But, <laughs> but I can control the fact that I might never respond to you, or I might fire off a nasty missive, or I might clear two hours from my calendar to be a perfectionist. And, you know, or I may just go and, you know, eat a whole box of cookies or however else I like to cope. And so that's really, really important. And that's where I feel like the knowledge happens and the learning and the path to leadership. My early leadership career included a a phase, we'll call it, where all I knew was command and control pretty much, because that's what had been modeled for me. And my young mm. adult life. Yep. And I read books like yours and I think back, gee, how how many people did I make anxious unnecessarily just because of my lack of 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 experience and self-awareness and, and all of those things. And it makes you kind of kind of take an inventory of yourself too. And you know, not just think about the past, but like right now, am I doing anything as a leader or a spouse or anything else that that is bringing that kind of uh, response out of out of someone? What what changes should say leaders be prepared to make as far as workplace cultures or or, or their practices to sort of address this, if you will? Yeah, and, and I want to make out just a really quick contrast here because you know anxiety is not our fault mm. and. A lot of us, especially in the workplace, face biases and systems that make us anxious for very good reason. And, you know, there's tons of data about this. True. So I don't want anyone to think listening to this, I have to go fix myself, <laughs> right? I'm not saying you have to go fix yourself. And if you are a person who is struggling, if you are someone who doesn't have power in an organization, if you are, you know, trying to just keep the lights on. If you are the only person of color on your team and people are biased and that's making you anxious, you know what? That's very, very real. The reason why I focus on leaders 
is I feel very, very strongly that it is a leader's job to start this conversation. Leaders typically have power in an organization. They have influence. They have juice. And if they don't start becoming more human, I was raised in the same environment as you, you know, Mm. command and control. Don't ever let them see a sweat. (laughs) If leaders don't start modeling this stuff, no one else will ever feel safe to do it. And the, Mm. the bad systems and bad patterns will just continue because you know what? A huge majority of people think that work contributes to their poor mental health. And it does. Mm. Talk a bit, if you would, Maura, about uh, your podcast journey. I mentioned your podcast earlier mm-hmm. and when it started, how it started and what the process has been like for you and being able to sit across from leaders who are getting vulnerable with you uh, in, in these conversations. I'm very comfortable in vulnerability. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, it's just how I, I think it was how I was raised to be honest, but um, I, you know, I was a blogger very early in web 2.0, as we used to call it, I was a blogger. First, I was a political blogger because I was a political consultant. Mm. And then I started blogging about work. And I loved blogging. And I loved that early conversation online. You know, it felt pure and thoughtful. And as everything became more social media focused, super visual, things got a lot more toxic. I, I was... I was feeling a bit like, what's my creative outlet now? You know, I I have so much I want to learn about and say and people I want to talk to. And then um, I started podcasting, I think in 20, geez, 2014. Mm. And that was my aha. (laughs) I was like, this is this is amazing because it had that same sort of intimacy of blog of early blogging. Mm I'm a huge introvert. I really feel comfortable in one-on-one conversations. You and I aren't looking at each other right now. (laughs) And I I don't know. I I just, I sort of took to it like a duck to water. And so my first podcast was called Hiding in the Bathroom. And it was, uh, it became the premise of my first book. And it was, it was a lot of vulnerable conversations, but it wasn't focused on anxiety specifically. And then, you know, as I just talked to more people, it became clear to me that people wanted to talk about anxiety. And I loved talking about mental health. I had mm. always, always, always wanted to be a mental health professional. So I pitched Harvard Business Review, The Anxious Achiever. I think it was in early 2016. I can't mm. remember. 2017. And it took a while to get off the ground, but we launched. And I don't know, it's been it's been the biggest gift of my professional life in a way. It's been so amazing. And look, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor, but I am a leader who has lived with profound anxiety and depression and bipolar too. And I am grateful for people who will share their stories. You know, we don't all, we, we talk about everything on the podcast. We talk a lot about everything from ADHD to autism to OCD. We have an episode coming up on people with Tourette's syndrome. I really want to highlight how people work differently when they are different. You know, I identify with so much of, of what you're saying. I, I come you from, a, yeah, from a broadcast uh, career, mm-hmm. spent 26 years in radio and, you know, would turn on the microphone and talk to thousands of people anytime I did without thinking much about it. And so the big adjustment for me as, as someone who loved sort of hiding behind that, uh, maybe I shouldn't use that term, but that's kind of how, how I viewed yeah, it. It's what we do. Uh, what, was, what was tough for me then when I went out on my own 10 years ago was getting comfortable with public speaking. Mm. And and the fear I had around that and being in 
front of people who are now all looking at me and can see me, whereas before they couldn't. And that was that was that was a journey. I've never had you know any sort of debilitating moments with regard. To that. I've been very nervous about public speaking. Thankfully, have never had instances like those ones I described earlier. Mm-hmm. I've just pushed through it and and said yes when I was scared to death to say yes. <laughs> and I have found in that particular situation, what's worked for me is, and this isn't for everybody, but to be uh, practiced, to go through it you know, dozens and dozens of times, not that it's memorized or anything like that. But when I get up there, I want to feel as confident as I possibly can. And the more confident I feel because I know my material and I know what I want to say, then the less nervous I become. And then the last part about that I'll say is what I found is when I am nervous, at the end, I always feel this sort of euphoric feeling of like, you did it. Yeah. And I'm so excited to do the Q&A now because the hard part in my mind is over. And so in future talks where they've gotten bigger and bigger and higher stakes and higher stakes, I always remind myself of remember how you feel when it's done. Lean into that and let that carry you through. Oh gosh, I love that. I think preparation is is really huge if you're if you're anxious. If I'm nervous, I tell the audience. And mm-hmm. some of the best speaking advice I got was from Lindsay Pollock, who's wonderful. Um, she talks about careers a lot and building your career, but she's a great speaker. And she said, you know, the audience wants you to succeed. Sure. They, you, this is not a roast. <laughs> they are here for you. And Every time I get on stage, I think I'm not worthy. I'm going to disappoint them Mm. every single time. And I just try to push through it. That's a moment when you just, you say to your anxiety, too bad. So what? (laughs) Go away. (laughs) <laughs> I like your friend who calls his anxiety a chipmunk or something like yep. that. <laughs> I just talked to someone yesterday who said they call their anxiety Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I like chipmunk because chipmunks are tiny little animals. It just takes the power away. <laughs> right. Who could take who could take a chipmunk seriously? And, and and that's a moment when you sort of you sort of tell your anxiety to buzz off, but but you still feel it and then and you use it, right? I mean, that's a moment where you want what Wendy Suzuki calls your activation energy, right? You you yeah. come on stage, you don't you want to be vibrating a little high. Like you said earlier, it's you're feeling that way in part because this is something that is truly important to you. It's it's, yeah. it's 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 your chance to make an impact. And and that's part of the reason why your body's reacting the way it is, is because this means something to you. It means something to you. Yeah. Maura has, has divided the book into a couple of sections. I meant to mention this earlier. Part one is getting to know your anxiety. We've talked quite a bit about that. Uh, part two is a leader's toolkit for managing anxiety at work. We've talked some about that. One other thing with regard to that that I want to ask you about is the thought traps. You, you identify 10 of these in the book. Uh, but what would what would you say are some of the more common thought traps that anxious achievers are likely to experience? If you had to narrow it down to say two or three, yeah, I mean, I I think thought traps are so common we all experience them. I mean, a really really common one is catastrophizing. Mm. So you get one snippet of news and your mind immediately goes to the worst possible outcome. That's very popular. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one is emotional reasoning. Because I feel this, it must be true. Right. Because I feel like I don't deserve to be here. I definitely don't deserve to be here and everyone hates me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there too. <laughs> That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Um, I, I call imposter feelings a thought trap because mm-hmm. the thing about a thought trap is that it's instant. It's automatic. It's just something that habitually comes into your head when you're made anxious by a certain situation. And imposter syndrome is a really, really common one. 
And for a lot of us, it's just, it becomes a habit, right? It's Mm -hmm. like we instantly feel when we're challenged, when we're where we want to be, probably Mm. we don't belong. Is some of this, is it going too far for me to say that some of this is about the choices that we make in handling responses to this? Can it be, I don't want to oversimplify it, but can it be as simple as making a decision not to lean into a certain fear or a certain anxiety? I mean, I think your cognitive behavioral therapist would say yes. I mean, part one of the things that I talk about in the book is, and this is, again, this is the work of years. The book is not going to make you solve this and you know right is you do want to get to the place and this is the whole point of mindfulness where you have a stimulus and you don't instantly react mm. which is what we do when we're made anxious all the time you want to get to a place where you're anxious you're you're triggered that stimulus is there but you can notice it and say, I feel like an imposter right now. I always feel like an imposter. It's my thing. I was invited here. They're actually paying me money to be here. So maybe what I'm saying to myself is not true. Maybe I can make a different choice. Sounds easy is so hard. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions, Maura, not directly related to the book. Before I do that, though, anything that I haven't asked you about that you want to make sure we know about your book? I think one of the things that I hope you will find surprising in my book is a simple question that is really, really applicable to a lot of high achievers. And it's kind of cheeky. And it's, who told you you had to be so special? Mm. And this was a very profound moment for me in therapy that really transformed my life. And as I dug into the research and many different modalities of therapy, really came to understand that a lot of our drive for excellence, for perfection is deep, is rooted in our childhood often, our feelings of self-worth. And again, is a choice that we can make. Mm. A lot of us operate on autopilot that we always have to be right, amazing, perfect. And who told us that? I call myself a recovering perfectionist. Yeah, well, you can recover. I mean, that's the good news. And 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 you can still be amazing. Like you're not one of my favorite psychologists who I talk about in the book is Tom Greenspan. And he says, you can get rid of the anxiety of perfectionism and still be excellent. Mm. Well, let me ask you about books. I'm guessing you're probably an avid reader. I find that most authors are. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you're not, you know, feel free to to say as much, but assuming you are, I'd love to know more, uh, maybe a book or two over the last few years that has really resonated with you. Maybe a book that you recommend to to others often. Yes. I I will admit that I am an avid, (laughs) avid fiction reader. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's funny. I, because I'm so stewed in this stuff every day for my work, for Mm -hmm. fun, for fun, I read fiction and I listen to podcasts, but There are a couple of books that I really love that I think would be relevant. Mm. And I really love Alice Boy's work, B-O-Y-E-S. She's written a book called The Anxiety Toolkit and The Healthy Mind Toolkit. Um, She's been on my show a couple of times. She's in my book, but she has really practical advice around anxiety. There's a classic book, which is The Feeling Good Handbook 
by mm. David Burns. Again, he is really the the father of thought traps, and it's a classic for a good reason. I, I really, really recommend it if this is something that you want to explore more deeply. And then two books that have been just really profound in my work, mm. both in my career as a political consultant and now are about social capital and relationships. And so Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam, which is again, a classic for a good reason, and a book called Building Success Through Social Capital by Wayne Baker, which is a really amazing book about how to build and sustain relationships and is so powerful for introverts and anxious people, especially. Another question I love to ask authors, and thanks for those book recommendations, because I don't know that any of those in nine and a half years have ever been recommended on this show before. Oh, so we've got some, got some new ones. But another one that I love to ask authors is with regard to personal knowledge management. I host a, a cohort called Note Making Mastery, and we walk through Ooh. practices for capturing knowledge and the things you want to remember, how to organize and connect your knowledge, you know, new ideas to existing ideas, distilling and synthesizing what you learn, and then how to ultimately create with and, and from that knowledge. And, and I'd just be curious to know if there's any practices or things in particular you do, especially as someone who's researching for books on occasion, that sort of thing, to just keep track of everything. Oh God, I need your advice. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I, I'm terrible at it. It is actually something that I need to figure out. I am a sponge. I consume a ton of media, everything from ancient history to obviously I'm obsessed with politics, to psychology, to fashion and pop culture. I just like, I love it all. I read three <laughs> newspapers a day. So as I get older, I used to just keep it all in my head and now my head doesn't work anymore. So <laughs> I, I, I do use Google Docs, to be honest. Like when I have ideas for things I want to write, mm -hmm. when I have guest ideas, I have a spreadsheet that's just called Moore's Guest Ideas. And so if I read an article that's interesting, I just pop that person in there for a later date. And then I, I start Google Docs with titles of articles that I might want to write one day. Well, Maura's book, again, is called The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Power. There's that first book, too, uh, Hiding in the Bathroom. Thank you again for being here, Maura. And thank you for writing The Anxious Achiever. We're all the better for it. Thanks so much. As always, to dig deeper into this episode, to check out the links and resources Maura talked about, to connect with Maura online, you can find all of that at the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 470 for episode 470. I hope you'll also check out the Read to Lead community online at jeffbrown.me. Get access to exclusive content, weekly business book summaries, curated resources, and community forum access. It's all for free. Again, jeffbrown.me is the place to go for all that. Next time on the show, we'll be chatting with author Karen Dillon. Karen's co-written a couple of books with the late Clay Christensen. She's got a new book out with Rob Cross called The Micro-Stress Effect. How little things pile up and create big problems and what to do about it. Again, that's next week on the Read to Lead podcast. That's it for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.